All right, we're going to gather back. Hopefully. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we welcome the voice of your Holy Spirit. We take just a moment, Lord, to bring our minds and our attention and our focus back to hearing you and to seeing your word. Lord, as as we look at your scripture and we we exegete what we think you were saying and 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 after, Lord God, I just pray that the voice of your Holy Spirit is louder than my voice, but that at the end of the day you would have spoken to us from your word and that you would give me the words to speak today that would be pleasing in your sight. And would bring life to each one of us today. I thank you and I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God's work of art. By the way, I, I don't want to give away any secrets, but that's you, by the way. I know you look around the room and see, do you see any works of art? No comment. This is based on the idea that our relationship with God is not static or stationary. Sometimes we let ourselves get into some thinking that says that our, we come to God, we get saved, we're going to heaven, and now we, we try to be good people, try not to say bad words, not, try not to kick the dog any more than is necessary. I mean, we just try to do all of these things to be, quote, right, with God, but we misunder, we forget that our relationship with God is not static, it's not stationary, but it's ongoing. God is constantly bringing us along His designed path, and, do, and in doing so, He is conforming us into the image of His Son. I, I would like to think that from the day you accepted Christ, to now, you have grown more like Christ than you were then. Now, I know we all have moments, and I know we all are human beings who live in fleshly bodies. But ultimately, if we understand that our relationship with God is is ongoing, and it's not static or stationary, then we would we would think that we would be growing in Christ. God... In the case of this word today, God is the artisan, and we are his handiwork. You know God's working on you, and uh, sometimes when God's working on you, it gets uncomfortable. One of the reasons it gets uncomfortable is we resist. We resist him, and we fight him. If you haven't already, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And then later on, not now, but later on, I'm going to have you turn to Philippians 1, but that's only one book over. So if you would stand while we read the Word of God, um, and I'm reading once again from the English Standard Version. And it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following 
the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, everybody say all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. And this is our key verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can be seated. It's a very familiar passage that you've heard many times and you've probably read many times and we usually emphasize the first few verses. Uh, I want to look at, just for a second, verses 8 and 9. I'll read them again. Uh, verses 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. This is called the great gospel interruption. Because he goes through the list of what we used to be. We used to follow the devil. We used to be governed by the spirit of disobedience. But God, who is rich in mercy, this is the great gospel interruption. And one of the things we should never, ever in our lives grow numb to or forget is the day the gospel interruption came into our lives. You, you know, some of us in great, in different stages, but you were living Apart from God, and God interrupted your world. Uh, it, it certainly, it certainly resists the idea that we have the initiative in this deal. That we're just sitting around one day and minding our own business and nothing good on TV. And we say, well, I think I'll go ahead and accept Christ. And that's not the way it works. We come to God when God's ready, not when we're ready. And then, and then he gives us the grace to respond to him. And then when we, when we make that response, when we come to Christ, when we are regenerated by the energetic working of his Holy Spirit, at that moment we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We still need some work, but we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And our names are written in the Lamb's book of life for eternity. I said recently that when God wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life, that he did not use disappearing ink. It is still there. And so verses 8 and 9 of this passage of what Paul wrote gets us to that place that we have been saved. We have been regenerated. We have been 
renewed. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It gets us to that place where we can rest in the fact that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit and our names are written in the Lamb's book of life for eternity. And God, or Paul, really tries to make that point because he only gives us one verse dealing with what we're dealing with today. He says, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. That in the ages to come, he might show his glory through us. God is our artisan. He is our artisan. The word workmanship there in that verse is a word that is just translated God's work of art or that which is made or that which is done by an artisan. The actual word, I can't pronounce it, but it's P-O-I-M-I-A, and it's where we get our word poem. And people have tried to say that this is saying we're, we're God's poem. I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't know if we are or not. Some of you have rhyme and some of you have no reason. But anyway... <laughs> Maybe so. But the bottom line is that we are God's work of art. And in one sense, he's completed his work because we stand before him righteous before God with the blood of Christ covering our sins. On the other hand, he's still got to do some work on us to get our behavior and our character closer to that of the Son. Now, the working on us, getting us closer to the sun, has nothing to do with whether we go to heaven or not. Remember? No disappearing ink. But it has something to do with whether he can still show in us, in the ages to come, the glory of God in the earth. We used to sing a song, from glory to glory, he's changing me. As a matter of fact, we're going to read that verse before we're done. But that's what we're talking about. Uh, we, we sing a song here, change my heart, O God. Change my heart, O God. Because even though I'm saved and know I'm going to heaven and nothing can threaten that, there's another old song we used to sing back in the day, to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. So all I want to be, do is to be like him. And that takes work. That doesn't, you can't just read a book and you can't just strain. And be like Jesus, it takes the work of God. Now, this is God's way. Isaiah says, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now grow pale. What's this verse? But when he sees his children, the work of my hands. In his midst, they will hallow my name and hallow the Holy One of Jacob and fear the God of Israel. These also who erred in spirit will come to understanding and those who complained will learn doctrine. The key thing to understand here is Israel, God saw Israel, the work of his hands. You and I are the work of God's hands. And we were created, this verse tells us, we were created for the purpose of good works. Not He, he says quickly, not that you're saved by your good works. Because if you could do that, everybody could brag about how many good works they've got. You're not saved by anything that you do. 
You're saved by what you believe and what you receive from God. But neither does that discount the value of good works. That doesn't, you can't assume the posture. And this is what James was fighting in his letter. You can't assume the posture. Well, I'm saved. Bless God. My name's written in the book of life. Bless God. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to lay down over here and wait for Jesus to come back. Wrong. We were created for good works. And you were. What are good works? How would we define good works? What does that look like? Excuse me. Well, part of that is given us uh, in in, uh, verse 10. He says... We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So one one way of finding what the good works are is defining what is it that God would have prepared beforehand that you and I would be doing. So if what you're doing now would not be something that God would have prepared, you cannot define that as good works. You gotta say amen or oh me. I'll say oh me. Another thing is the word there is actually just a word that means that which is beneficial or that which benefits others. One of my pastors, our pastors that served, we served us for 16 years. Brother, y'all know Brother Curtis Foreman, so a lot of you do. He said something one time, and I had it etched on a piece of wood. I need to go in my attic and dig this thing out. But it says, you you must go beyond yourselves to find God. You'll never find God if you can't get out of your self-absorption. Because you're always going to keep finding yourself. And so, you and I, if we want to do good works, we got to understand, what is it? That benefits other people. Now, the me generation, and we're part, we have to watch that we're not a part of that. The me generation says, I should be saying, taking care of number one, what benefits me? You toot your horn, I'll toot mine. God's economy doesn't work that way. That which is beneficial. That which is something that God has prepared. Good works. So what we got to do now is we got to talk about we got salvation in verses eight and nine, and now what we got to talk about is renovation. Renovation. Now this is where I'm going to ask you to turn just a few pages over to Philippians one, uh, or in your tablet or phone, just tap a few buttons and get over there. Philippians one, and uh, I'm just going to read. Uh, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this. This is the verse I want to hone in on. And I am sure of this, or some of your versions are going to say, I'm confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'll continue. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for, for you 
are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, remember he's writing this letter from prison, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Notice that God, it says that God has begun something. Everybody say begun. God has begun a good work in you. How many of you realize that if God is doing the work, it's a good work? How many of you realize that the good work that God does is many times painful. And yet it's still a good work. We just sang about that. I choose to worship. When I'm having a bad day, I choose to worship. He begun it and he will complete it in you. So there's a work going on in our lives. There's a work going on as we're walking with God. Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 13 of Philippians, For the one working in you, so we know he's working in us, God is God both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is working in you, and what he's trying to do is to get your will adjusted to God's will, God's pleasure, and then consequently, he's wanting to get your, not just your will, but he wants your works to be for his good pleasure. So here's a, another definition of what are good works, that which pleases God. If it pleases God, it's good works. Y'all are sure quiet. I should have brought some uh, spark with me. And then he gives us another notion of the work. He says, I'm praying that your love, agape, your love may abound more and more. Now, more and more indicates progression. We're going from one more to another. I'll get you some spark after a while, Sarah. Just help, help her out. I'm putting her to sleep. <laughs> it's not her fault. It's mine. <laughs> Your love may abound more and more. But it's interesting what he says next. He says in discernment, or what does it say? It says in knowledge and discernment. What an I looked at that verse and I think, okay, Lord, you said you want my love to abound more and more, which is a progression. In love and discernment. How am I going to connect those two? Here's how you connect those two. You remember that love is an action word. It's not, it's not a static word. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Agape. There's, there is a love that is, but agape is not a feeling. It's, it's, it's a decision and it always is accompanied by action. So here, uh, that your love would abound more and more, that you would grow in your love, and that it would cause you to know how to walk in knowledge and discernment. The Spirit-Filled Life Bible gives this note. Paul intends their love 
to result in their ability both to discern and choose what is morally best. Your love is what motivates you to want to do what's morally best because it's an action word. Your agape creates parameters of what's expected because it's God's character and that what is expected of you is what leads you to that place of knowing what's morally what's morally right. And in uh, the ESV study Bible, some of you have that, says so that the, Philipp- the Philippians' love would find expression in wise actions that would truly benefit others and glorify God. So ultimately, agape is bringing you to that place where your actions will benefit others. With, if you don't have agape, you're not going to get to that place that what you do benefits others because you're going to be looking out for number one. I'm not talking about the guy on Star Trek. Riker, I'm talking about you. We understand from the scripture that the renovation of our lives begins with our minds. You've heard stinking thinking. You've heard all kind of sayings like that. And in the, the verse, of course, I'm reading it from the Tree of Life version. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect gives that instruction. Do not do not be conformed to the world. And you've heard me say, uh, J.B. Phillips has a translation in which he says in in that verse, his verse says, "Do not allow the world to squeeze you into their mold, Amen. because the world will attempt the world the world the world system." The spirit of the age will attempt to squeeze you into the mold of the world and the way the world system thinks and works. All you got to do is read the news and you realize that we're being told every day that you can't think that way. You can't go there and you can't apply that to life and you, you this is what you can't do and if you do that you're going to get canceled i'm so glad i'm not on anything to be canceled from they've been looking for my twitter account for a long time and i i i don't i don't have one and then they start looking for my facebook page and i guess my cousin gets canceled his name is Larry Granger. Uh, you know, all kidding aside, the world system is attempting to squeeze Christendom into its mold and to, in, in its way of thinking. And God says, don't be conformed. Don't let that happen, but be transformed. And how are you going to be transformed? By the renewing of your mind. By the renew of your mind. Not being conformed to the world, but Romans 8.29 says, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. We are being conformed, but not to the spirit of the age. We are not being conformed to the world, 
but we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. It matters what you put in your one-pound, or in some cases, two-pound computer right here. It matters. It matters what you process. It matters what you're subject to. It matters. And we we have a tendency to put all kind of garbage there. Paul writes in Philippians 4.8, he says, The things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and that has excellence and is worthy of praise, think on these things. What are you giving yourself to to think on? What are you thinking about? I, well, I'm not even going to say what I just thought. Jack Hayford says the renewing of the mind is this, to reinstate features of God's original intention for humanity and a recovery of many potentialities of the human mind and soul as designed before the fall. And so what we've got to do is think about the fact that God's trying to bring us to a place that he had created Adam and Eve before they fell, and now he's trying to bring that back before the fall. And that he's... his. Uh, He's trying to recover where the human mind was before. Now, he still has a problem, and we have a problem, and that is we still live in a tabernacle of clay, and we still have feet of clay. But God can and does bring us closer than we think to being able to think like God. How, do, how, how are we going to find out how God thinks? It's right here, right here in the Word of God. I'm not talking about being a Bible thumper. I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm talking about studying the content of the Scriptures to the point that we know what God's thinking. Now, sometimes we don't want to know everything He's thinking. It scares to death. But if you want to know God... I mean, obviously, by the Spirit of God, you worship God and you communicate with God and you fellowship with God, but you really want to know Him. He's, he's already revealed so much in this book about who He is and how He thinks about things. Some things in the Scripture need interpreting. Some things in the Scripture need no interpretation. Black and white. Not only do we understand that our renovation begins with renewing our mind by the Word of God, letting the Word of God direct us, and the Spirit of God anointing the Word of God, really. But we also understand that we are sharpened in community. You and I are sharpened in community. Um, the Scripture talks about our being joined and knit together. Joined and knit. The, the word knit gives the indication there that God's putting us together as members of the body of Christ and that, um, that He doesn't want us to get out of that easily. Now, I know everybody changes churches. I've changed churches two or three times in my lifetime. And sometimes, and many times, that's God's will and God's purpose. And so, 
I don't have an issue with that. What I have an issue with, I think we talked about this Wednesday night in our home group too. What I have an issue with is people that bounce from church to church to church to church to church. Because every time they get into a situation and God begins to knit them with some folks so he can back them into a corner and so he can put the heat to them, they run. And they get something out of joint. Because God said, I'm joining you and knitting you together. It's called covenant. One of the great purposes of covenant is that we won't run. Is that we won't run, but we'll let God do his work. Scripture tells us that we are individual. We are, it's the body of Christ that's made up of many members, and we are individually members of one another. And so in a local situation like we have here, then we are individually members of one another. We are joined and knit together by God so that he can do his work without our moving, without our running. Proverbs tells us this when it says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend Sharpens a friend. Y'all know what that feels like. You know what that feels. You have friends. I have friends. We, as Barney Fife said, all God's children got friends. And sometimes that relationship is a sandpaper relationship. Sometimes it's just we all have friends who rub us the wrong way. And our human tendency is, well, I'm gonna get away from those folks. But God says, shall I remind you, joined and knit. And sometimes you need to be around people who rub you the wrong way. I'm reminded, I've told you, going back to Brother Charles Simpson, of when he was a young pastor and a lady would irritate him every week. She'd call him up and give him the finger, the index finger, for those who are just listening <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> and she, every Sunday afternoon, she'd call him at home, criticize his sermon. Just, I mean, just really just, uh, y'all don't do that very often. I appreciate that. Uh, and finally, his dad, Brother Vernon Simpson, one of the wisest men ever walked, and uh, they were pastoring at the same time at different churches, and he asked his dad one day, Dad, I got this woman, and she's giving me, wrong, wrong. he said, Charles, you need her. He said, I like a hole in the head. I need her. She, no, you need her. And when you don't need her anymore, she'll be gone. And he said, okay. He just made up his mind. Just, you know, let, let the rubbing begin. And one day he looked around and she wasn't there anymore. Because he had grown to the place that didn't bother him. And he had grown to the place that he let God do what God was doing. And you have people like that in your life, and maybe not that to that degree, but you have people, I have people, everybody has people that rub us the wrong way, but we need them. God has a funny sense of humor. So Paul talks about Christ being formed in us. Galatians 4.19, we're not going to turn. It says, my little children... For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is what we're talking about today. This is God's work of art. 
until Christ is formed in you. The word is morphu, not morphood, which some of you are probably thinking about right now, but morph, I guess it's up there. Yeah. Morphu, which is the shape to shape or the fashion something. And it's where we get our word. You've already figured it out. Morph, where we morph into something, where we shape something or fashion something. The New English Bible translates that until you take the shape of Christ. Until you take the shape of Christ. In other words, back to Romans 8, 29, that we are being conformed into the image of Christ. And it's a daily, it's a daily progression. It's a little lengthy, but I wanted to give you this quote from John Piper. He really talks, tells us, it says, I think the basic reason why Christian faith meets with opposition in the world and even finds resistance in our own hearts is that true saving faith always brings with it the reshaping of our heart and mind so that it is no longer we who live but Christ in us. It does not appeal to the natural mind to be so transformed by Christ that we must give him credit for all the good that we do. I hope we're seeing this. The reshaping of our heart, the reshaping of our mind. That's what I'm talking about today. That as we go through life, through the renewing of our mind and through the sharpening of iron and through community and the, where God has us, that we begin to see the shaping into the image of Christ. Because we'll have to be able, this is where we'll, we'll finish up, we'll have to be able to embrace the process of shaping and molding. Because where we run into problems is when we don't embrace the process, we resist the process, and we run from it. I'm just going to give you some four little ideas here and just to help us. And the first one says that we must submit to the process if it's going to be effective. You can resist the process, but you also resist the impact of the process. Isaiah 45 says, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, He has no hands. Do we do, we do that? Yeah, we do that. So, what are you doing with us? What are you doing? Do you know what you're doing, God? God, sometimes I wonder if you know what you're doing. You know, there's nothing wrong with you doing that. As long as, not too long after that, you say, sure you do. I mean, Jesus said, if there's any other way, let's do it that way. But it took, it didn't take him very long to say, but let's do it your way regardless. We don't say to God, what are you doing with us? We just submit to the process and let him do his work. Also, number two, we must view the process as a positive and productive element of our life. We groan, we complain. We should be singing that song. By the way, 
Don, let's come up and do that song again. Not right now, but when I'm in just a minute. I'm, I'm close. But view life, view what's going on as, a, as positive and productive. James said, blessed is a man who pers- perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed are those who persevere. James also said, count it all joy when you have diverse trials. Peter said, don't think it's some strange thing. Don't think something weird's going on when you have some difficulty in your life. It's called life. And it's God's tool in shaping and reshaping our hearts and minds. It's God's tool for eliminating the impact and the influence of our flesh on us as we go through life. Thirdly, the process does not mean we have been deserted by God. (laughs) Yep, I know God's mad at me now. We do that all the time. And we think, okay, this is going on in my life because I must have, what did I do wrong? Y'all heard, y'all asked that. I've asked that. Everybody's asked, what am I doing wrong? What did I do to make God mad? And then we remember, I'm not going to have you turn. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. So it's not that God's mad at you. Because if he was mad at you, all that stuff would would kill you. We're more than conquerors over all that stuff. And lastly, the process, and we've been saying this all along, is an ongoing one. And the goal is to communicate God's glory in the earth. The goal is that we, as God's creatures, can communicate to other creatures the glory of God in the earth. And what is the glory of God? Uh, well, there's there's so many ways. The, the, you know, the word glory is a word that means weighty or it means substance, to have substance uh, in, in a situation to be to. Uh, anyway, God, I think God gives us his glory uh, in in Exodus. Well, I mean, I'm, yeah, he does it in Exodus, but I'm looking in Deuteronomy. That won't work. I ran out of chapters. I knew I was in trouble. He said, God, show me your glory. And God said, okay, I'll show you my glory. I'll I'll be gracious. I'll show you my goodness, and I'll show you my mercy. Now, wait a minute. Show me your glory, God. Okay, I'm going to show you my goodness and my mercy. What kind of answer is that? Well, how about this? How about goodness and mercy being God's glory? And then he said, show me your glory. The Lord said, I'll show you. He said, I'm going to put you. In a cleft of the rock, I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to turn my back to you, and I'm going to come through. And the Scripture says, uh, says, the Lord passed before him, and then the Lord proclaimed this. He said, I'm a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for trans- for a, th- a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. Those, those would be good definitions of God's glory. And if you and I can communicate those qualities to those around us, we are communicating the glory of God. But we can't do that unless God can shape us to do that. We can't just say, hey, read the Bible. 
It's good to tell people to read the Bible. But sometimes, as the song says, sometimes people need Jesus with skin on. Sometimes you're the only Bible some people are going to read. What book are they in? (laughs) And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being changed from glory to glory, progression. We're better off, we're, we're at a better place in that when we're, than we were yesterday, hopefully. And we will be tomorrow than we were today. Bob Mumford said it this way, if Christ can be seen in me and Christ can be seen in you, then Christ can be seen in us. And if Christ can be seen in us, then the world can see God's glory. And that's the reason we're God's work of art. I'll finish. You can bring the band up now. I'll finish up with two verses while they're coming. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Now here's here's the verse I really want you to notice. Equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So I, I want us to do this song again because it really speaks uh, um, to what we're talking about in that God shaping us and God forming us and our being the work of art and the working that God does in our life is often, maybe always, but at the very least often uncomfortable. And it causes us to wonder, God, are you mad at me? Or what, you know, where, what happened to this day? But if you choose to worship in that moment, you'll find relief. And you'll also find the thing that has concerned you the most is not nearly as big a thing as you thought it was. So let's stand and join the worship team today in the singing of this song. And sing it to God and just sing it as a declaration. I choose to bow Though there's pain in the offering I lay it down Here in the conflict When doubts around Though my soul is unraveling I choose you now I will praise you Through the fire Through the storm and through the flood There is nothing that could ever steal my soul In the valley You are worthy You are good when life is not You will always and forever be my soul I build my altar Right here in the midst of 
Choose to worship. I 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 cho